This is a HeadGum Podcast. The Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin here today live in Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Studios with Ben Sisto from the Museum of Who Let the Dogs Out. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here in your studio. Ben, uh, on your website, the Museum of Who Let the Dogs Out is described as over 250 items related to a seven-year investigation into the origins of the hook for the song, Who Let the Dogs Out? Correct. So before we get into the museum, uh, and before we get into the collection of things that you've assembled, uh, what, why were you investigating this song? What, what, what was your, like, what was the, the, the root of that investigation? Why did it go on so long? Tell me about, tell, what, what, what is going on here, Ben? <laughs> well, uh, about about seven years ago, there was a moment where I um, I was unemployed and to try to pass some time and make myself feel useful, I would go to public libraries and, and museums a lot, just trying to like look for inspiration, see what's out there, just just searching, I guess, as one does without a job. And I don't remember why I was on the Wikipedia page for Who Let the Dogs Out, probably because it was... There may have been an article about it being the 10-year anniversary. I, I ended up there. I Wikipedia every single thing I encounter in my life. So you never have to explain to me why you're on a random Wikipedia I spent page. a lot of time on there. Sure, uh, yeah, yeah. And I noticed that one of the introduction paragraphs said that the song was overheard by a hairdresser named Keith in Trinidad during Carnival. Uh, Keith did not have a last name in the article, and there was no primary source referenced. Uh, I have a, f- a lot of friends who are very interested in like free culture and Wikipedia and sharing information online, and I thought a good use of my time while unemployed would be to verify th- this source. I would find out who Keith was. Okay. Keith turned out to be. Wait. Do you like that song at all? Do you care about the song, or you just you just stumbled on this one fact? Do you have any interest in the song? Like, did you own the album? I did not own the album. Do you have any like memories of the summer of 2000 when that song was everywhere and being like, what is up with I mean, this I, thing? Or I, you really just randomly stumbled on the Wikipedia page one day and were like, you just got it in your ran- teeth. Yeah, I would say random stumble. Uh, when the song came out, there were other sort of big stadium, you know, jock jams types hits that were out at the time. There was a song called Kencraft 4040. I think that's the name by Zombie Nation. Uh, you would know it if you heard it. It's okay. a, a stadium banger. Uh, so there's other songs of the same genre i guess that i sort of liked but there's not i never owned a baja men record really once once i started looking to who this keith character was i really think it was just it occurred to me that they asked the question who let the dogs out something like 32 times in the song if you ask some a question that many times somebody is going to want to answer it okay Uh, and i think there's these other culturally relevant music questions like what meatloaf won't do for love you know that kind of plague society uh so when I was talking to Keith, the his answers were better than I expected, and it turned out he was like the hairdresser for the band Roxy Music, a glam rock band. Sure, that yeah, I loved yeah, with uh, Brian Ferry. And... Yeah, yeah, and I think it just gave me a, a slight journalism bug, so I thought I'm going to follow questions about this song to their logical end. And that logical end was seven years later. Like, what were the questions? I mean... 
it seems pretty straightforward, right? Like, what what are the the questions that took you seven years to unwind regarding who let the dogs out? What were, what were the mysteries? Well, excuse me. There, I guess there's these two things. Like, people want to know who let the dogs out. I became interested in the question of who let who let the dogs out out, which is okay. to say wh- where did the song come from? Where did this hook come from? Uh-huh. You know, most pop hits or or things on that caliber are based at some point on prior art. And when I was looking into the history of the song, I found a bunch of court cases that were very, very contentious and very interesting that all ultimately settled out of court. So I I became more interested in this question of like, where does this hook come from, which is the the phrase who let the dogs out combined with the sound of dogs barking. This is where the commercial value is. This is what people argued about in court. Yeah, that song is not... Remembered for its verses or its bridge. Not the best rap yeah, yeah. in a song uh, ever. I actually listened to it uh, before this, and I had totally forgotten what the rest of the song sounds like. The parts between the Who Let the Dogs Out, um, I had probably not heard in over a decade. It was like completely unfamiliar to me. I had entire, I, I just had no recollection of what the rest of the song sounded like. Yeah, and w- it's very different. Yeah, I will say I've listened to it and versions of it enough where at this point... I probably am a fan of the song just because it's it's become so ingrained or there's moments where I'm like, okay, I see what they're doing here uh, and getting to know the producers a little bit. And it's, it has sort of become part of my life uh, in an unexpected way. God bless you because I take preparing for this podcast pretty seriously and I could not get listening to could not get through listening to that song a single time. It is, I found it genuinely unbearable. <laughs> oh, no. Dis- disagree. But you had also okay. asked about okay. this. Okay, that's, uh, that's fair, that's fair. Well, you had also asked about this question of, you know, who, who let the dogs out. And I usually, I think that that is potentially an unanswerable question. I do sometimes reference. Well, isn't it rhetorical? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's like a. I don't think it's 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 like the suitcase in Pulp Fiction. Like we're not supposed to know what's in it. Just yeah. the question is the important thing. Yeah, and I have a few theories which I think are pretty sound, but I'm not sure that I want to get too deep into talking about them because I don't think people want to know. No, definitely not. No one cares. <laughs> no one's thinking about this song with you. <laughs> but I am interested um in where it came from because um I don't know. I just would assume some guy wrote it and found the Baja men. There were an act that fit. They put it out there. Um, it was featured in the Rugrats movie, apparently, and then it became popular. And it seems I, I would have assumed it was a pretty simple story. But you're telling me that the the the, uh, not, the, the question of where it came from is actually pretty thorny. Yeah, it's um, it potentially goes back to 1992, which is you know eight years before the Baja men. Um, do you want me to just sort of talk back? If I can sort of like talk backwards through time, that'd be great. Great. So I'd love to take a trip through time <laughs> via Who here, Let the Dogs Out. Here we go. Um, the Baja Men's version of Who Let the Dogs Out, which everybody sort of knows, is based on a version called Doggy by an artist named Anselm Douglas. Now hold on. Right away, you're blowing my mind. Who Let the Dogs Out? It's not exactly a cover, but it's based on another song. Yeah, I mean it's pretty similar. Right, like it's not, um, and this is something, you're not blowing my mind in the moment. I looked this up after reading it on your website, but I had no idea. I suspect we're blowing a lot of people's mind right now. It's not quite a cover. Like the the verses are different, I guess, but the the important part, the who let the dogs out part, is totally there. Yeah, the Bahaman version is sort of um, a mix of pop vocal, um, 
a little bit of like southern bass in this style of music called Junkanoo that the Baha men uh, were big pioneers in. In the Anselm Douglas song, uh, Doggy is more of like a soca hit, and it was it was originally written for Carnival. I believe it came in second at Carnival in '98, and it's much it's you know the temp it's much much more up tempo, much right. much more high energy. Who let the dogs out? The way it went from Anselm Douglas to the Baha Men allegedly is as follows. Uh, the song's playing on a float at Carnival. Keith Wainwright, who is this hair, the Roxy Music hairdresser guy, big fan of like steel drum music, and he's down at Trinidad and Tobago, and he hears the song, and he, he's actually not a big fan of it, but he sees how people are responding to it, and he obtains a tape of it, or he does like a live tape of it. He goes back to London, gets his tape, to a friend of his who is like a music industry guy um, named Jonathan King. Jonathan King is sort of like this hit maker, hears it and wants to do a cover. King records a version called Doggy under the moniker Fat Jack in his pack of pets. So this is all pre the Baja men getting involved. Yes. Okay. So the Fat Jack in his pack of pets version... Um, this guy, make, Jonathan King, makes a VHS video to go with it. I haven't seen the video yet, but apparently he's it's a bunch of adults. It's blowing my mind that you haven't seen the video yet. Because we haven't gotten to your collection yet, but your collection is insanely thorough. So I'm if you haven't seen that video yet, it must be tough to find. I'm steps away from... I'm meeting up with Jonathan King uh, in a few weeks in London uh, okay, to okay. interview him. So I hope to uh, get a glimpse. So King was friends with Steve Greenberg, who was then... I believe at the time maybe he had just left Atlantic Records. He was uh, producing Baha Men. Baha Men were pretty big, like in Japan, and they were doing wow, okay. really? Yeah, they were doing well. They had like they were selling well, but they they hadn't really broken into like a mainstream uh, U.S. market. So Steve Greenberg hears this song and just thinks, "Solid gold. If we record this the right way, I have a vision. This is going to win a Grammy." He goes to his producer partner. Mike Mangini, who essentially laughs at him and is like, you're out of your mind. Uh, I think other members of Steve's family felt similarly, but ultimately he convinces the Baha men to do it, and the rest is sort of like history. But even within this, that sort of like small contained story, you know, there's like covers and yeah. it's being passed around. Does, does Anston, Anston's his name? I keep messing it up. Anselm Douglas. Anselm, I'm like Anson, but one letter off. Anselm. Does he um, get a songwriting credit on the yeah. Baha Men? So he got he got paid off of all this. Yeah, yeah. They definitely their relationship with him was legal. Uh, as far as Steve Greenberg and the Baha Men were aware at the time, they did everything sort of by the books. The rest is history. But then what happens is when the Baha Men version starts appearing on the radio, these two DJs, Patrick Stevenson and Leroy Williams, hear it and kind of have a moment where they say, "Wait a minute." That's our hook. Who let the dogs out? So they end up suing. I forgive me if I get this wrong. I believe that they sued Destin Songs, who is the publisher of the Bahaman version, and they take them to court and basically say, "Hey, when we were recording these radio jingles in late 1995 and early 1996, they were recording jingles to promote a nightclub party called Rec Shop Radio." Uh, at WBLK Buffalo. They said Anselm Douglas was the brother-in-law of someone who was hanging out in the studio and he was around and he heard the hook and stole it from us. Or maybe okay. not maybe not stole, but 
I think it was more a case of like, hey, I like that hook. Could I use it for some songs? And they ended up settling out of and court. When they say the hook, um, there's like not much of a melody to that song. So the hook is specifically the who saying who let the dogs out and then the who, who, who. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, it's funny when you mention that the just the first guy in this chain like heard it and saw the way people reacted to it. Because I can believe that. Like mm-hmm. even with the song, I just told you I'm not a fan of the song, but you put that song even today, and the song is kind of a joke today, but you put that song on today and people will go who 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 it's like a mm-hmm. a it's, primal reaction you have to like it does bring it's interesting that like um credit to that guy for recognizing that because that is that is what if that song is yeah, ending I mean, well it's that that's what it does steve's definitely a bit of a hit maker he's also responsible for the band hansen and uh during the mbop era sure and he just he has that ear for what is going to resonate with the you know popular culture yeah it's true when we had the exhibition up recently people who weren't even that familiar with the song or kids who are too young to really know it still knew to do the call and response. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, during this court case, uh, it settled out of court, but Anselm Douglas signed an affidavit uh, asserting that these two guys, Stevenson and Williams, did, he credited them like they wrote the hook and mm-hmm. it kind of settled for $2 and future considerations. Which, $2? Yeah, essentially... I don't know anything about law. That's, that's, it seems low. <laughs> that does sound low. I, I feel like they sold a lot of, a lot of those uh, albums in 2000. According to... I have never spoken with uh, Leroy Williams, but according to Patrick Stevenson, they just had a crummy lawyer. They feel very screwed out of it. And other people who were sort of around the studio at the time, a guy named Sean Sachs, a DJ named Babacan, a lot of them have either told me that they don't want to talk about it or they just won't respond to me. And I feel that there was a lot of... I think it was difficult for a lot of people and really, like, hurt some friendships. Um, so it's it's tough. But Patrick Stevenson, within the past six months, did finally send me the uh, original recordings of the jingle so I could hear it as, it as it would have appeared on the radio. And it is unmistakable. Was the focus of your investigation for seven years... Mostly this songwriting and where the origins of the song, and this is what, what the story you just told me is what it took seven years to put together. Well, no, what I've told you is about thirty percent of it or so. This what I've told you is sort of the legally recognized. This is something that you can easily with with a little bit of googling, you can sort of like find these things. You can um, pull up old court cases. Then what I found was at some point on a very deep message board you know, 30 pages into Google search results, I came across the song You're a Dog by an artist named Gillette. And someone had commented on a video of the song or something like that, like, sounds a lot like Who Let the Dogs Out to Me. So I listened to it and I was like, I'm not hearing it. I'm not hearing it. And at about a minute and 30 into the song, she does the Who Let the Dogs Out chorus. The only difference being she says the word loose instead of out. But I have who always... let the dogs loose. Yeah, she says who. It's not as good. She <laughs> says who who let them dogs loose. But I've always sort of argued that contextually, both phrases imply that previously contained dogs are now uncontained. Yeah. So I think that the... who did you argue that with? The ether. <laughs> okay. And no one, no one argued back with me. Right, right, right. And this Gillette work predates any of this. This is from yeah the copyright on the Gillette album, which was produced by. A a group called 20 Fingers, is in 1994. So it predates the Stevenson-Williams claim by about 18 months. Are we then saying that 
they, Stevens and Williams, heard it from Gillette? Or is it, poss- or is it possibly a case of, of parallel thinking? Well, this is where things get really tricky. And so far as I understand, within copyright law, there are these two things that really need to come together if you're trying to prove an infringement case. Uh, They're called access and substantial similarity. Substantial similarity is pretty straightforward. Two things sound the same. We wrote the same song. But because there's a finite number of chords chord combinations or a finite number of words, you know, courts will recognize two people who have never met, don't know each other, wrote very similar pieces of music. That can happen. So you have to really be able to prove that the alleged infringer would have been very aware of the prior art. Mm -hmm. So what I spent a very long time doing is collecting many, many pieces of memorabilia related to Gillette's career and specifically the charting distribution and promotion of You're a Dog to sort of make a case that Stevenson and Williams being sort of these DJs at an urban format radio station. WBLK was like one of the first, one of the country's first like hip hop R&B stations. And it's the 90s. Billboard magazine and charts and stuff like this are still very important. You know, it's a, sort of a different era. And everything I've been able to find, which is Your Dog was reviewed in Billboard magazine. There's photos of her on tour promoting it in Billboard magazine. Um, it's also the it's important that it's a follow up single to a song called Short Dick Man. And Short Dick Man was a massive, massive song, like global techno hit remixed everywhere a song can be remixed and played. It's like an Ibiza-type banger. So people would have definitely been following the career of this person who, you know, she wasn't a one-hit wonder at the time, but people would have been aware of her follow-up singles. Has Gillette ever commented on this? No, um, I have never spoken with Gillette, but I did have... Gillette's a person or a band? Gillette is a person, Sandra Gillette. And she was not... She's not, so far as I know, a classically trained singer... The production group um, Twenty Fingers, which was Manny Moore, Charlie Baby, um, some and there's some other people. I'm going to mispronounce their names, so I'll just avoid now. But they basically they wanted to write an album that was in direct response to a lot of misogynist sort of lyrics and behavior that was happening in big techno at the time. There was songs like "Whores in This House" or "I Beat My Bitch with a Bat," which were very popular. And they just didn't like the sort of like attitude. So they wanted to make this whole album that was like a tongue-in-cheek rap rock response to all that. And they kind of found Gillette, thought that she had a great attitude. I think one of the reviews of the album was like, if Rosie Perez uh, cut a house record, that's kind of the sound you get. So they wrote all the lyrics and and collaborated with Gillette. And yeah, that's that's sort of like where where that comes from. Have you spoken of the Baja Men? Well, I spoke briefly with... The, a Baja man? Yeah, I spoke with Isaiah, who is uh, one of the longtime members of the band. When I was meeting with Steve... Is he in the video? Was he, like, one of the men at the time of, you know, well, when the song hit? what's interesting is the three people that are sort of... When you close your eyes and think of the Baja men... As I do every night. Yes. Um, as we all do. <laughs> uh, those three individuals are not sort of original Baja men. Mm. Baja men, uh, they're, they formed 25 years ago... In '92, are they Trinidadian? Um, I, I mean, no, I don't believe so. I think that they're from the Bahamas. But at some point, I read that maybe they had lived in Wisconsin at a for a brief. I was period. just proud that I knew like how to turn Trinidad into uh, <laughs> what what we call a citizen of Trinidad. <laughs> yes, you know? yes. 
want to use um, the word. But yeah, I, when I spoke with Isaiah, it was I was uh, interviewing Steve Greenberg, and he just kind of said, have you talked to the guys yet? Called them up. They were very polite, um, said thank you for knowing so much about the song. Do they, or any of these people you talk to, um, I mean, they made a global phenomenon, yep. hit song of hit songs, just yep. as peak successful as you can be. Did any of them acknowledge that it's sort of become a joke in the intervening years? And it's on a lot of like, worst songs of all time lists. And yeah. like, you know, people like to goof on it a little. Steve has definitely commented that between that and Hanson, that he's been credited with creative, creating some of the, the worst songs. Hanson is different, I think. Hanson has... But the thing is, if you... Hanson has achieved some degree of musical credibility in the years since. Which is not to get into defending Hanson, just that Who Let the Dogs Out is such a unique phenomenon. It's like that, Macarena, like there's Mm -hmm. like once a decade type hit. Yeah. Well, I think that's sort of why I've come around on really feeling it is a good song. If I remove my own like pure taste, what I listen to at home and just think about it as a phenomenon. Yeah. It really, I mean, you can't, Make many arguments against it. No, there's got to be something. There's something to it, right? Like, well, I think what's what's interesting about it is, you know, it's a very like malleable hook. Like anybody yeah. can, if you want to identify as. So the some of the original ver, the version by Anselm Douglas was a pro women track, and you know it was against um, men behaving inappropriately on the dance gotcha. floor. So the men were the dogs, and it was like, who enabled yep. the men to do all this? Yeah, yeah. So, so the patriarchy let the dogs out, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, well, I've always sort of said that because men, uh, misogynistic, misbehaving men have ne- have always been in positions of power. They've never been contained to begin with, and that's why it's kind of silly to try to answer who let the dogs out, because... Right, they've always been out. There yeah. Was, there was no dog fence yes. in this interpretation of the lyrics. Correct. But... The Bahaman version, when it's played in stadiums, even even though the lyrics aren't that different, the sort of like jock culture that surrounds them means that like people identify as the dogs. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's kind of like whether you want to blame other people for being dogs, whether you want to be a dog, whether you want to ask the question or bark the response, it's very malleable and it's super great for licensing, right? Because you can use it for... Yeah. Anything dog related. Anything dog related. Everyone loves dogs in general. Like kids related things. That's why you get into versions of it on video games like Smurf's Dance Party, where Gargamel sings Who Let the Smurfs Out? Or you have Kermit the Frog, Who Let the Frogs Out? It's just, um, it's a. Yeah, that's interesting because those are games designed for kids who couldn't possibly have been alive when the song was popular. So that just goes to show it's like lasting impact and influence, I guess. Yeah, it's just, it's one of the greatest phrases ever sung. Um, but there's nothing in the lyrics, at least in the Baja Men version, actually, <laughs> unable to fully listen to the song, I did at least read the lyrics so I could speak to it, <laughs> preparing for this very moment. Um, there, the lyrics, there's not, there, I mean, I don't think there's anything in them where you could get that. I can see um, in the context of the kind of musical scene at the time, how you could interpret it that way. But there's nothing in the lyrics that even remotely hints it's about misogyny. Like, it's kind of all just about, like, good, it's kind of generic good time party lyrics, right? Like, Yeah, and even... At least in the Baja Men version. Well, you know, the rap, like a lot of mainstream rap, uh, injects an unfortunately, an un- unnecessary moment of misogyny where the song is sort of, like, going, you know, it's who let the dogs out, people are dancing. And then the rap is kind of has this attitude of, like, I'm a guy in the club. I can't be contained. Like, 
I'm gonna I'm coming after women like any women will there's a line that's kind of like like anyone will do and it's like I don't you know, know all the words you must know all the words to all the verses I know dogs at, right yes but that's not something I'm going to prove here with any kind I'm of, not gonna make you sing it but I just I'm just you I, I can't imagine how few people know the words to the verses of who let the dogs in, it's in, gotta be you and the Baja man an interesting thing is in a lot of the mainstream versions a, a word that has carried over from prior versions is the word skettle, which is equivalent to saying like whore. Mm. But I think because Western audiences just don't care about uh, doing proper translation, it's it's just there. there. You know, there's these movies and kids toys <laughs> where it says this, but uh, it's always been odd to me that it, it got left in there. Just a brief interruption to let you know that this week's episode is brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. How do they do it? By establishing partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. That means in addition to being delicious and easy to cook, the food they send you is sourced sustainably and for less than $10 per person per meal, it arrives at your door fresh. Every week, you can customize your recipes based on what you like. There are several delivery options, and you can take weeks off, so you only get those deliveries when you want them. Some upcoming meals include salmon piccata with orzo and broccoli, pork chops and miso butter with bok choy and marinated apple. Everything I said from pork chops to marinated apple, that's one meal. And the final meal I'm going to describe is vegetable chili with baked sweet potatoes and crispy tortilla strips. I'm telling you guys, this stuff is good. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Ruben. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so do not wait. That is blueapron.com slash Ruben. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay, back to the episode. We have to talk a little bit. I've been, we've been teasing it the whole time about this collection of stuff. I went and saw your collection. So the museum um, is more, it's, it's a sort of a uh, uh, collection that moves around. Is that is that a fair way yeah, to describe so it, it? It moves from my <laughs> linen closet to my living room, occasionally into a bedroom closet. It's, but it's not like a building where you can go visit. You have to wait for uh, somewhere where you're exhibiting it. I saw it at um, the Spring Break Art Show at um, the Condé Nast building. I actually yep. don't know who put it on, but it was it was an art show. It was really cool, actually. Um, I, I literally only went to see your thing, but um, they took the Condé Nast building, big office building in Times Square, actually, and I guess they cleared out two floors of it. And, like, in each room, there were different art exhibits. So it was cool to be walking around an office building, seeing different art exhibits. One of the offices, one of the bigger ones, um, you had taken over and filled with who let the dogs out stuff. I cannot overstate. We're about to learn together how insanely thorough um, this collection was. It really, I was really quite impressed um, with all the things you had. So here's what I'd like to do. I am going to um, just sort of name things I noticed in your collection. And you tell me where you got it from, um, sort of the significance of it in your collection, um, maybe how hard it was to get, just whatever you comes to mind when, when this object is brought. I'm going to start with an easy one. You got a lot of posters. You have a Bahaman new album in stores now poster. How hard was that to get? Difficult. A lot of the items, such as, such as that poster, show up extremely infrequently on eBay auctions or other auction sites. One of the reasons... Do you have, like, a save search for Baja Men on eBay? 
I have many saved searches. <laughs> okay, okay. Sometimes I look for Baja Men. Sometimes I look for who, the, who Let the Dogs Out. Sometimes I look for just miscellaneous, like, 90s and early 2000s ephemera. Um, the, the I think part of the reason the collection took so long to build is some of these things I've only seen come up for auction once in the past, like, seven years. Sometimes it's also finding an image of a poster existing somewhere else. Like maybe I find a photo of a record store and the poster is in there. So I'll crop it, run that image through Google image search, and it will find a eBay auction maybe in the Netherlands or like somewhere else. So how much did you pay for the Baja Men new albums and stored now poster? Even if you don't remember that specific item, just generally oh, wondering what such an item might cost you. I would, I would estimate that it was probably somewhere between like 15 and $25. It really depends if some auction items are, you know, incredibly cheap because someone's just cleaning out an attic and they're just trying to get rid of stuff, other things are very obviously placed up by people where selling musical ephemera is their profession and things are way too expensive. I, I find a lot of the stuffed animals to be way too expensive. Um, is there another Who Let the Dogs Out collector out there that you're competing with because i once interviewed when we talked to this guy who was a, i believe it was the beanie baby expert and he was also in a collecting i think it was perry como merchandise and there was this one other guy out there collecting perry como merchandise whenever any weird perry como thing came up on ebay oh no so far as i know it's just me out there did you interview the person who wrote the beanie baby book yeah the beanie baby bubble oh fantastic work. yeah it's a great book it's yeah. a great book i uh, really like that one that one's fun um what was of the posters in your collection, what was the most difficult one to obtain? Mm, the posters weren't... I guess the posters... How many really, posters do you have? Uh, maybe like 10. And what are so. some of the Who Let the Dogs Out posters you have? Well, a lot of them are like sort of record store promotional posters, which are essentially the album art just fold that It just unfolds onto like a 12 by 24 kind of panel. Things that were... One of the things that was kind of difficult to get and maybe unnecessarily expensive were some of the uh, Recording Industry Association of America certified plaques for like 3 million copies sold. So you have... Yeah, how do you get that? Don't they only send that to the Bahamut and whoever produced it? Well, no, I think I think a lot of people get it. Like the, the one I have was uh, made out to Bert Patel. I believe he was like an accountant. Actually, during the exhibition at Spring Break, a... In a youth came by and sort of said, like, I grew up with these in my house. And I said, what do you mean you grew up with these plaques in your house? And he was just like, my dad was a lawyer. One of his clients was, like, somehow affiliated with that band. So I think that, I don't know how many they give out. Right. But... So you, they give out, let's say maybe they give one, every, like, you open up yeah. the CD booklet, you see a bunch of names that you don't know. Let's say every one of those people yep. get, when the album goes triple platinum, they get, like, this is like a nice framed certificate and yep. the CD and the album art. You have the one that they gave to the accountant. Yes, I bought it. On, and you have several of them, I think, too. I have two. Um, one is all credited to a guy named Ken Masters. I'm not sure who Ken Masters is. But I think he's the... Uh, he's from he, Street he, yeah, Fighter. I, th I think he's the lifelong rival of Ryu, yes. as, so, uh, as I understand so it. So I always thought maybe like he was a, a DJ or something that just used that name. I wasn't totally sure. The, but I bought... Uh, the first one I bought off eBay from somebody who, I'm not totally sure what the story is, but I read some controversy where he claims to be the son of Glenn Danzig, but may not actually be Glenn Danzig's son. Okay. Uh, so there's an, another another mystery out there i got to solve. But some of those things can be a couple of hundred bucks, and I had to like talk people down. I, t I tend to buy things based on 
whether or not they reinforce part of the story that I'm trying to tell, if they're real factual evidence, or if they're just so aesthetically appealing that I must own them. What's like the who let the dogs out item that you were the thirstiest for and thus paid the most for? Hmm. I Well, I definitely paid the most for one of those plaques, but I was thirstiest for a flying disc. They they. Okay, so this is a, fr- a Frisbee. Can we well, go fr- it's it, not a Frisbee. It's not a Frisbee's Frisbee. Frisbee's a brand name. Frisbee is a, a Whammo product. No, whoever owns Whammo now. No buzz marketing for a Frisbee. So this is a flying disc. It is a nine-inch diameter red circular disc. I saw that. It, I noticed that at the exhibition. It has a pretty prominent place, but I wouldn't have guessed it was the hardest to find or the thing you paid the most for. What What was it about that Frisbee? I So the Frisbee, there was a— or, I'm sorry, the flying disc. Oh, you, yes. I, the, I got you doing it. Can we? We'll edit. We'll fix that in post. Yeah. The flying disc uh, was there was a one eight hundred number sort of commercial that aired when the song came out. Call now, no CODs. You know, we'll send you the Baja Men album, um, and it was like if you call now, we'll also send you this promotional flying disc. So I started doing very very exhaustive searches, Google image searches, auction site searches. And once in the past seven years, I saw it come up. It was nine ninety five. Bought it right away. And the funny thing is, when the exhibition went up recently, Steve Greenberg came by, saw this little description I had put up next to it about my quest for this frisbee, and he kind of laughed and said, "You should have just asked me. I have like a dozen of these That's at my funny. house." So you have a decent amount of "Who Let the Dogs Out" toys because, like we were saying, like it, it works well for kids. There's uh, a doll, like a dog stuffed animal with a bone in his mouth that says, who let the dogs out on it? What other kind of toys have you got? Most of them are a, a type of like plushy doll where you push the paw or the ear and then it dances and sings, who let the dogs out? There are, there's a company called Pacific Innovations that made a series of five dogs, stuffed animal dogs. I have three in the original box and two deboxed. They were the ones that were officially licensed with the Baja Men version of the song. They're each wearing a little yellow t-shirt that has the album art on it. And then a bunch of the other versions, I'm not totally sure. Um, there's a company called Gem Industries that made a bunch. I think that there's probably an instance where they they got a license to use, you know, a version of, but not the original. So, there, you know, people would re-record and cover. I probably have like a dozen of those. One of the central features of the exhibit... Uh, you've got a wall of records. You got to have what? Fifty vinyl records. About eighty-five. Eighty-five vinyl records, all of which are somehow connected to the recording of "Who Let the Dogs Out." You don't just have like Led Zeppelin three up there just to fill out the wall. These are true eighty-five different vinyl records, all of which are connected. Am I? Am I? Am I right here? You are correct. What's one of the more difficult records that you had to track down? Hmm. Well, I guess looking for a lot of the Gillette You're a Dog records took time because they were released either overseas or they're just like rare singles that people just don't put up for auction a lot. I mean, fortunately now with websites like Discogs, it's gotten significantly easier to to find records. Um, a lot of the... The reason that there are so many records too is I started tracing back all of the sample history. So... We didn't really talk about, I guess to understand the why there are those records, I should also talk about this group, Miami Boom Productions. Do you okay. mind? Can I get into that? Yeah, please. Okay. So we, we before we went as far back as the Gillette song in 1994, 
But there was some other hints uh, on the internet about some people claiming original authorship of The Hook in 1992. A guy named Joe Gonzalez, who ran a message board for fans of Miami Bass, claimed that his group, Miami Boom Productions, in 1992, wrote a song called Who Let the Dogs Out. standard for there to be this much contention over who wrote a song or is this just a thing where it was this phenomenon there was a ton there's a lot of money and um i i'm not sure i think you know a lot of songs like black eyed peas or robin thick there there are all these like instances of like potential copyright infringement i think also what happens a lot is for people who are creative the infringement is not necessarily a malicious act you're just like making things you're creating things you're you know let's say you're like uh, a nightclub person and you're promoting like a hip-hop party and you put like a biggie lyric on the flyer technically that's infringement but you're also just like you're just like part of the culture you know so i think it it happens all the time and it's just really like you just hear about it when there's a certain amount of money or if if something did seem like very suspect, but I think it's pretty common. Uh, I'm sorry, I think I oh, yeah, yeah. your story. So Miami Boom Productions, they they claim that their story is really interesting. They Their claim is that they were driving around when they were teenagers listening to a song called Demad Scientist, which is by a group called Bass Patrol. In the Bass Patrol song, there is a sample of the song Pump Up the Party by Hassan, which is produced by Stevie B. And that sample says... Who's rocking this dog's house? Who, who, who? Or it's more of like a roo, but it's it's the same. But it was so low in the mix that they weren't totally sure what it said and that they made up the lyrics, who mm. let the dogs out, over it. The big thing that's been difficult for them is really this case of access. I mean, if you listen to the, the Stevie B song or the Miami Boom Productions recordings, you you hear it. It's the It's the chorus. It's really there. But there's really no way to prove that their song ever got like radio play or or would have been passed around. But I started thinking about this entire ecosystem of prior art that kind of gets compressed into like one pop narrative. So within that Stevie B song, they also sample um, a song called Now Dance by Byron Davis and the Get Fresh crew. They sample an Eric B. and Rakim song. And those songs are also based on soul songs and prior art so a lot of the records are about tracing all of these samples back to essentially like the start of recorded music there's some like bing crosby and carson robinson and and very like old 78s that kind of show like where all of these phrases and ideas start to germinate and how they ultimately like compress into the pop hit that everybody knows did they print who let the dogs out by the baja men on vinyl Yes. And you must have that, right? Yeah, I have the... I mean, yeah, there's the UK single. There's um, there's different versions. There's like the Berman Brothers remix, 12-inch. There's one that uh, came out, I want to say, somewhere in South America that has the the audio track that accompanied the TV commercial. There's I guess all- if you were DJing and DJing off of records, mm-hmm. and if it was 2000, you were probably DJing off of records, as much as I understand DJing. Uh, and if you were DJing in 2000... You had to have Who Let the Dogs oh, Out def- on vinyl. Definitely. I've also collected a lot of 
there used to be this trend of like DJ scratch tools, which would sort of be like, essentially you could think of it as like a sound effects record um, where they would have like Chuck D saying the word bass or like who the the dog's out doing that call. Or there's a lot of like acapella records where it might have like side A is like a Mariah Carey song. Side B is who let the dogs out. So in addition to like its official releases, a lot of people were like bootlegging it so people could do like live remixes and edits. You have Who Let the Dogs Out, many copies of it on vinyl. We can assume you have it on CD, probably cassette? Cassette? Yes. What other mediums do you have Who Let the Dogs Out? I'm going to give you one. <laughs> one I noticed uh, was the Hit Clips. Hit Clips yeah. was uh, the 90s toy. You have the Who Let the Dogs Out Hit Clips. What's that about? Yeah, Hit Clips were an interesting phenomenon. They're sort of, um, they were a, a kid's toy where you would have like uh, a pen or a toy robot or like all these different like devices that you could plug a hit clip into you could think of a hit clip as if you haven't seen one it's sort of just like a large sd card in like a decorative casing and you would have a keychain that has all your clips on it so this was like a trend for a little while in in the late 90s actually it was pretty successful tiger electronics made a lot of money off off hit clips it was interesting with the exhibition up there was definitely a generation of viewers who were drawn immediately to the hit clips. And I never, I was aware of them when I was yeah, younger. Too, but I never had them. But I never had yeah. them. And it's, it's been interesting to see simultaneously people be very drawn to that, but other people will be very drawn to the fact that like I have, there's like Kraftwerk vinyl and they want to talk about how like that gets sampled by Soul Sonic Force. And like, so the different mediums. Wait, how do you, how, what's like the <coughs> six degrees of Kevin Bacon from the Kraftwerk vinyl to Who Let the Dogs Out? Oh, well, Kraftwerk, Trans Europe Express. Gets sampled by Soul Sonic Force and Planet Rock. That gets sampled by Byron Davis in Now Dance. Now Dance! That gets sampled by Hassan in Pump Up the Party. Now Dance! Which gets sampled by Bass Patrol in uh, To Mad Scientist. And again, that's the song that Miami Boom Productions allegedly based their version off of. Are there any other ways that you have, uh, any other mediums that uh, that Who Let the Dogs That was distributed on? Yeah, well, you know, we were talking about hit clips, and one of the things we did was I found this guy on the internet uh, named Choof, who is good at reverse engineering and hacking hit clips. So rather than just try to get like an audio out, I mailed him the clip. He soldered some cable points to it and was able to extract the raw audio from it. And I also want to do that with, um, there's this Fisher Price Kids Bop series, this this device called the Star Station. It was sort of like a karaoke machine for kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I uh, had something like that when I, it wasn't that because I'm a little older, but I had something like that when I was Yeah, little. so I want to pull the raw audio off that because those versions, like the hit clips, is really interesting. Just, I mean, just like mathematically, I guess, like <laughs> the amount of compression that had to go into like, it's so, it's such a low bit rate, but it's it's interesting historically uh, because of that, and it's a different edit of the song because they ha- you know maybe they have like thirty seconds, so they have to decide we're going to do this <laughs> this much of the intro, this much of the hook. So th- yeah, there's there's a few other like, but there's I think that's like the m- most of the media. I have one or two VHS tapes, or you know a couple of like DVDs where it appears on a soundtrack. What DVDs did it appear on the soundtrack for? Um, well, it's in, uh, what's it? The Hangover. It's in, you had mentioned Rugrats in Paris. Um, Wikipedia 
credits Rugrats in Paris for breaking that song. Is that right by your estimation? No, I I credit a mix of people. I got is I I think that really this guy named Frederick Traub, who I think it's Traub, maybe Traub, but he and Steve Greenberg were really big into this idea of sports marketing and really like uh, pushing the song in stadiums. And I think that's really probably what broke it. There was a few, Jonathan King had claimed that his version, Fat Jack version, maybe was played for the New Orleans Saints. There was another version by a rapper named Chuck Smooth. Uh, and Chuck Smooth's version actually charted around in the South a lot and was played at a lot of like college stadiums. So I think the the stadium mentality where people are chanting together is like really, really what broke it. The Rugrats thing, I mean, it's a kid's movie, so it's definitely making an impression on a generation. I believe that before that, though, there was like a, there was a, some kind of a Nickelodeon like call in and vote for your favorite song moment. And Steve Greenberg told me that when that happened, oh, it was like a, it was an early website and you would vote online, but it was before the web was like super savvy yet. So you could just keep refreshing the right. page. So they just kind of upvoted the song to popularity a little bit. And it won. And it won the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have a lot of magazines on the wall. Um, like, Who Let the Dogs Out was this phrase in pop culture for a while that just kind of wormed its way into everything. What are some of the magazines you have that are related to Who Let the Dogs Out, and how are they related? I really like the um, the Brian Williams, when the story, the Lion Brian story broke. There's, uh, after he had dropped out of the public eye for a minute, uh, the Post had snapped a, a picture of him just out walking, you know, walking around, and they, they wrote Who Let the Dog Out. I you thought should, that was a really should, good one. I would love to know how many Who Let the Dogs Out puns the Post and uh, the other New York tabloids, tabloids have done over the years, because that cannot be the only one. Yeah, actually, even right around the corner from where I work, there's like a, a deli that has, when you walk in, there are don't bring your dog in here sign is a Who Let the Dogs Out joke. Um, it's just everywhere. Um, I noticed one when I was there. There was a comic book. A cartoon, uh, maybe a Cartoon Network comic book. Maybe not. There's a Scooby-Doo comic. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. There, so there was a comic book. There was a Scooby-Doo comic book. Scooby-Doo was hanging out with all the cartoon dogs. We're talking Astro from the Jetsons, Bat the Ace Dog, Crypto. They got a Green Lantern dog. I don't know who he is. Uh, and they're all hanging out. And, of course, it says on the cover, who let the dogs out. Yep. And, was- that, and that came out last year. So What? Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. It's it's both insane that it came out last year and that I felt compelled to buy it. But did you buy that new? Like, how did, so? How did you know that came out? Is it just a thing where um, a collector can't reveal all of his secrets? But so, I mean, I, I to me, my guess. I'll tell you what my guess is: is you have friends who know you have this insane obsession, and uh, like like I have friends who alerted me when there was a Who Let the Dogs Out museum in New York. You there have, are there are many sparrows. Okay. <laughs> If you've got a business or a podcast or a video series or a portfolio or a museum dedicated to 90 songs that most people don't even really think about anymore, uh, you should probably have a website. And the easiest way to make a professional, beautiful website is with Squarespace. There is never anything to install or patch or upgrade, so you can just focus on whatever it is you're actually doing and not worry about HTML and CSS and security and all these other things. You can get your own domain name just like you've always dreamed with Squarespace's unique domain experience that is transparent and easy to use. 
Squarespace is used by a wide range of people, from businesses to musicians to designers to architects, and there is almost nobody who could not find some use for their all-in-one platform. Uh, and on the off chance you ever get confused by things, they have award-winning 24-7 service, so there is really no reason not to give it a chance. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code Jeff Rubin to get 10% off your first purchase. That is squarespace.com, offer code Jeff Rubin. And here's what the end of the episode sounds like. All right, so two really unique pieces that we must discuss. The yearbook. You have a yearbook, and there were names highlighted. I didn't get a chance to fully engage with the yearbook. What is uh, the story behind the yearbook? The yearbook is actually an item that's on loan to the museum, and it's on loan from Joe Gonzalez, who's one of the Miami Boom Productions individuals. Um, so they've loaned through over over the years – I've sort of convinced him and his partner, Brett Hammock, that I'm for real. I'm not trying to screw them over and that I want, I really want to get to the bottom of this, uh, this mystery. So they were able to unearth a box of three and a half inch floppy disks. Yeah. The floppy disks were the second item I wanted to bring up. <laughs> yeah. And the, I, they kind of said, Hey, we found it. And I was like, well, you, you found what? And the floppy disks, uh, were very amazing to see for the first time. There are two discs from a SP-1200 sampler. One says, Who Let the Dogs Out? Samples. And the other says, Who Let the Dogs Out? Uh, chorus. So these are, according to them, the first like recorded instances. You know, It's like the, the backbones of what made their song up. And they, were, they had them in their original box. And also in the box was a receipt from when they bought the box of discs and i've examined it i scanned it in we blew it up and it definitely says 1992 it's from a kmart in jacksonville florida so we're going to be having in, in about a week i'm going to london there's a digital forensics firm called cryoflux and cryoflux is going to open these discs and examine them for me because they can verify the file creation and last modified dates if i open them on my computer the file creation date with your floppy disk drive that yeah well i have an external usb okay, floppy okay. drive but it uh it will tell me the file creation date will basically be today and right. also you know i'm not a journalist i'm i'm an artist but i've gone so deep down this rabbit hole yeah. that that <laughs> at, at this point i feel if i'm going to try to like have a conclusion it's very important for it to be validated by sources other than myself sure. so we're gonna have the discs open and the the yearbook is their yearbook from the time when they were like making this stuff. So they, they gave me the discs, uh, the yearbook and one of their original band t-shirts that they made. And I, I display them all together to try to like contextualize and just paint a, a bigger picture of like, this is who the, these are real people. This was their scene. You know, they're teenagers yeah. they are making shirts. They're like, it's like what punk bands wouldn't do and now wait a wait a second i think you've told me at least two who let the dogs out related activities you're going to london are you going to london just on who let the dogs out business no i'm i swear i i'm going there for a few reasons um there while i'm there i am interviewing uh this guy jonathan king who is the fat jack version i'm also going to be interviewing um keith wainwright who again he was the citation that started it all for me and i I I really want to like go back and have a good talk and say, yeah. look what's happened over the past seven years. Um, but I'm also, while I'm there, I'm doing an artist in residence program at the Ace Hotel. So I'm going to be doing a piece that is sort of about um, like the studying 
earthworms. Uh, that's the best way I can so- sort of describe that's it. That's interesting. You are an artist by trade, right? Am I, is that correct? I, I'm not getting paid for it yet, but, <laughs> but um, yeah. Is this who let the dogs out? Investigation art. I think you just called it journalism. Or does it's, it matter? It's an activity, and I feel there's an interesting uh, critique I got at the spring break art show where an individual said, well, this is great, but do you also make art? And I kind of looked around the room and was like, well, I'm, I'm in an art fair. You know, art is something that it's a way that people categorize a type of behavior. And for some people, this project is art. For some people, it's journalism, maybe amateur journalism. I guess I think of it as art, uh, but it's very similar to like what I do for my day job also, which is just very like project based. I really, I like, I just like projects. I like learning. I like deep investigations into fringe subjects. What is your day job? Uh, I oversee the arts and culture programming for the Ace Hotel in New York. So that involves, uh, we do like 12 gallery exhibitions a year, DJ booking. I run an artist in residence program. So a lot of, yeah, just like arts and culture stuff. Um, now I want to bring up, I want to brag for a moment. I donated something to your museum. The first ever donation. Well, you, you got something on loan, but I, I straight up gave it to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I heard this was coming and I sent you an email because I have a t-shirt, um, from when I used to work at College Humor, uh, College Humor had, let's say a side business called Busted Tees, bustedtees.com, which still exists. Um, and... Uh, we made T-shirts, and we, we and uh, we we actually we made two. One of which I no longer have, and the, I don't really remember the story behind it. It was a limited run, but the other one I do have. Um, so I have a T-shirt. It's got to be ten years old from my busted tees days. Uh, that says it's like a ringer T-shirt. It's kind of tan, and there's a picture of a dog, and it says, "No, seriously, who let the fucking dogs out?" Now you can see why we thought that was a funny shirt to make. It's kind of making me giggle even now, but. Um, I, I, to be honest, I never really found much occasion to wear it outside because it's sort of a lot to go outside with a shirt that says fucking on it, you know, like you're gonna like, I I don't like to do that. Um, but I did think it was a pretty unique piece. I actually Google image searched it and was unable to immediately find any like evidence of it ever existing. Really? I, I had never seen it before. And what I liked about it too is it's an original shirt design, but it's, uh, predates maybe like this current wave of like Etsy store type shirts where yeah, there's yeah. there's a shirt that set just says no seriously it was me I let the dogs out or there's a few like current sh- shirts like that where it just kind of seems like everyone with a cafe press is selling the mug right and those are uninteresting I like shirts with regards to bootlegs I suppose I like shirts that have a very like specific honesty to them which is this one's very dry. Like, the picture of the dog yeah. is not cartoony. It's actually kind of a nice picture. I actually think it's, like, a nice-looking shirt. Like, if you took, like, the the uh, words off of it, I think it would be yeah, it has kind a, of like, a lovely T-shirt. It has, like, a vintage 80s camp kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but it's very dry. Like, it's not yeah. like, there's no, like, exclamation point at the end. It's not like, Ugh! It's just, like, very simple. So this is what I want to ask you. How, and you don't have to be polite. You don't have to spare my feelings. Um, how does it fit into your collection? It's there. And but you you had other T-shirts, yeah. Um, and we didn't. How write, many T-shirts do you have? Ten. And the shirts range from official Baja Men, like this is a shirt that was put out to probably the weirdest one that I bought was uh, 
Hallmark sponsored a show called Who Let the Dogs Out? And it was like a TV show where, you know, the, I think it was like a tour bus that would go around and maybe that that famous uh, skateboarding bulldog was somehow affiliated with it. And I have like the promotional t-shirt that was made. So they would go around letting dogs out of a bus and the show was called Who Let the Dogs Out? Yeah. Or, I would watch that. That's a pretty good idea, actually. Yeah, I haven't watched the show in full. Maybe it's not super high on my, on my list. But when I saw that shirt for sale... It was more, some items when I buy, I'm almost disappointed in myself because I'm like, do I really need this? I guess I do. And I kind of take a big sigh and, uh, you know, I check the old bank account and like, well, I'm not negative yet. So let's, let's do it. Let's just do it. Do you have any idea ballpark how much money you have spent putting together this collection? I would say a, a decent vacation's worth. Fair enough. It's not, I would say it's an amount where... If I told you the amount, you might say that's kind of nuts, but it's not so nuts that it a lot of people when they saw the collection would ask me about obsession and I don't think that I'm at a point where it's like an obsession. I'm like reasonable about it. There's a lot of stuff that I haven't purchased, but what have you not purchased? Well, like some I said, these t-shirts. Yeah, like I don't like a lot of those t-shirts. And there are also like some there are like versions of some records where let's say I need um I need a record just to sort of be like this is a record that is part of this story. I might buy like the second pressing of a record that is like a rare Northern Soul classic that like the original first pressing might be like $150 and I'm like, "Well, I don't need that." Like right. I can the if the 1968 version sounds like the 1967 you know, I, I try to find a middle ground. Um, it's definitely not, it's it's not a collection that is in mint condition. And I actually intentionally sort of uh, will look for things that have elements of wear. Like I really love this record. I a, 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 the artist Roger did a cover of. Uh, I heard it through the grapevine, and I have like the promo twelve inch for it. And what I love is at some point someone put this purple stamp on it that is like a spider web pattern. And I'm sort of more interested in like those types of histories. Like it's there, it's a collection that has like been used and been loved and and passed through many hands and kind of bears all of the the markings of its owners. Right, right. Do you have let's say. God forbid there's a fire at the Condé Nast building directly located in the room where all your stuff is. What's, what is the one item you're going to save from that fire? Oh, I would definitely save the, the Miami Boom Productions tapes uh, or floppy disks. Oh, they're on load. All right, let's, yeah. those, those aren't yours. What about the stuff you own? Oh, oh, the stuff I own. Um, there is a particular dancing dog. It's like a little Dotson-looking guy. And I don't know why, but he's kind of become, I think it's because he's adorable. It's kind of become the mascot of the collection. Uh, whenever people, people of all ages kind of come in, they really want to like push his ear and, and watch him do his little dance. He's got the, the little shimmy. I don't know, very, um, just really comes to life and brings joy to the heart. So you are, you've got to be the world's foremost expert on this song who was not directly involved in the production of it but even possibly including them you might yeah at this point. i mean the the producers of the song have told me many times that i definitely know more about it than them so do you see any influence from the song either the song itself or the phenomenon that sprung up around it uh it, today yeah i mean i well do you mean influence like um I guess there's two questions. One, yeah. just like musically, do you ever hear anything that sounds oh. like it and you think? But then two is also, 
this was a song that was a little bit bigger than a song, and it was like a pop culture phenomenon. I don't know exactly how, but I can imagine it changed the way songs were marketed or put out or that kind of thing. So I think it's possible to influence in yeah. one, both, or neither of those I, categories. I can't really think of specific musical influences where I've never heard someone say, I heard Who Let the Dogs Out and then wanted to make a similar track. Right, yeah. Um, I think that the era of jock jams, that more like that compilation in that moment, probably changed a lot for for marketing and licensing. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I would say like that it was this song specifically as much as the idea of mass marketing sing-alongs and things like that. Right, right. Um, well, it's an incredible collection, and I encourage anyone who has a chance to see it. Um, where can people see it? You're, it's no longer up in New York, right? Yeah, we've, we've taken this exhibition down. I'm not sure where it's going next. If anyone has an exhibition space, uh, feel free to reach out. But the there's an associated paper, which is called Who Let, Who Let the Dogs Out Out. And you can see that on my website, which is bensisto, S-I-S-T-O dot com. And how can people follow you and know if you are putting it up again, where they can see it? Because if you listen to the show, um, you're going to like, Go into this collection. It's it's it's. It, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great, and um, I think people who uh, listen to this would love to go see it too. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm you know at Ben Sisto at Twitter and Instagram. Um, when whenever a new exhibition or a project is going up, I list that stuff on my website. So yeah, just follow along. And I'm also gonna. Ha- you actually have inspired me with your donation, <gasps> where I'm gonna be putting up a donation form. Um. You've in, well, you've inspired me, and a desire to save money has inspired me. <laughs> but I, I think there are other people out there who probably have items that they would be interested in donating and things that will never come up on an auction. And, you know, similar to you, it's like, well, what am I really doing with this T-shirt? It could have a life beyond. Yeah, you know, I, 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 told, I think I told – well, maybe I told someone else when I was talking about it, but I move, I've moved across the country twice in the past few years, and it came with me both times. Like, I love that shirt, and I wasn't – I was sad to see it go. But I'm glad it is with your collection where it belongs, bringing bringing joy to so many. Yeah, I like I like to think that if people donate to the collection, they know that I will do my best to take moderate archival care of it. Yeah, I I <laughs> could not be more pleased with who is uh, taking care of this shirt. Uh, I I took care of it for a while, and now now it is your turn. I, and I can promise you, I'll never wear it. <laughs> uh, well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show, telling us all about it. I guarantee everyone learned something about who let the dogs out listening to this, so thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I think that's the end of this week's episode. I want to give uh, an extra special Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin thanks to this week's guest, Ben Sisto, for not only doing all the normal things guests do and telling their incredible story, uh, but also for helping put together some of that audio. Obviously, it comes uh, from Ben's collection, and in particular, that jingle that we heard earlier, that radio jingle, uh, Ben informs me, has not really aired... Uh, since it first aired. So you are probably some of the first non-Ben humans on Earth uh, to hear that in, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. So, cool. Thank you again to Ben. In two weeks, the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show will return with an episode about space camp. I recently learned that my friend and comedian, Chase Mitchell, uh, went to space camp as a kid, and in two weeks... Uh, We're going to be talking to him about that experience. And when I say I recently learned, what I mean is our mutual friend Pat Castles uh, recently learned. So I said, what the hell? Let's get Pat on this episode, too. So in two weeks, 
Pat Castles, Chase Mitchell. We're talking about Space Camp. Until then, we can hang out on social media. You can find me if you're interested. Uh, and Jeff Rubin, JeffRubinShow.com. I'm not going to take any chances on not mentioning the URL. Jeff Rubin, JeffRubinShow.com. Every episode, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear uh, suggestions for guests for future episodes. Um, that's, I get some of my best ideas from you guys. Uh, someone recently wrote in suggesting a, a competitive eating episode, which has been on my list for a long time. So maybe it's time to start thinking about that one seriously. But in two weeks, it's Space Camp, and I'll see you there. But for now... That was a HeadGum Podcast.